Welcome to People of Hope, a conversation with the pastoral staff of Ignatius House Jesuit Retreat Center in Atlanta, Georgia. This month, as we celebrate the Lenten season, we're going to speak about the third week of Ignatius's spiritual exercises. This is a time when the retreatant is invited to pray with the stories and narratives that essentially make up Holy Week, from Jesus's Palm Sunday parade in Jerusalem to his trials and his passion and death on the cross. Ignatius invites us to pray for the grace of grief, feeling and confusion, because for my sins, the Lord is going to the passion. So let's talk about how this fits in with our Ignatian paradigm, the flow of the exercises, and our Christian life. And so I'm joined by Father Peter Fink and Sarah Otto on staff at Ignatius House. And so beginning with a question to uh, each of you, how do you see the third week uh, as important to the movement of the spiritual exercises? You know, one of the things, as we know, that uh, Ignatius begins the fourth week with Jesus appearing to his mother, which is not in scripture, but it, it, it's what I call that, that deeper insight of, of course, you know, she's been with him all this time, of course, and, or as the church would put it, it is fitting, that's their phrase. But at one point I had Jesus looking at Mary and all he said was, thank you for being there. And that phrase, thank you for being there, very much kind of controls the experience of the third week and how it differs from the second week. Because the second week, you enter into the realm of discipleship, looking at Jesus and trying to understand who he is, what's going on in his mind, and all that sort of thing, and how he acts and so on. And it's more, uh, uh, not quite performance, but it has that sense of watching it all happen and learning from what happens. But that the conversion as you enter into the third week is sort of not doing that anymore. I mean, it, it is possible that somebody can do the material of the third week as a second week person, namely watching, being there, learning from, and so on. But I really think that the conversion is, in the classic sense of mind to heart, is really a sense of just being there, not, not trying to do anything. In fact, um, you know, we're, we're, like when he goes, for example, goes through Jerusalem, to be able to ask afterwards, what was going on in your mind there? You know, how, how did you feel? How did you, were you aware of the hypocrisy of it? Were you aware of the glory of it? What, what was going on in your mind? Or certainly when you get into the, the suppers, the two versions of the supper, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, or the John's thing, do you understand what, what you did as, the, as a Passover meal? Let's take it first as a Passover meal. Uh, or did you... We, we, when you, in John's gospel, when you began to wash the feet, can I just be with you? Could, could, could I just maybe wash the feet with you? And it was, it's sort of a being with as opposed to observing. And then, so I think that sense of thank you for being there uh, is a sense to me that if you are being there with him through that third week, all of the exercises of the third week, even at the cross and even at the burial and so on, it is 
joining on the level of empathy, level of deep care. That, 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 that's my you know, starting answer to the question. Since you mentioned Jesus's appearance to Mary, as I prayed with the exercises, one of the most powerful images for me was Jesus in John's gospel, looking down at his mother and seeing her. And as a mother myself, just being seen um, in the way that I accompany my kids, even on hard days. And, and so I really agree that there is this shift in the third week where, yeah, in, in the first week, we experience the expansive love and mercy of God. The second week, kind of the energy of Jesus and following him in um, his work and, and learning from him and his teachings. And then in the third week, we experienced the vulnerability of God. And I just remember like really praying with the passion account and being struck for the first time that all of the noise and drama of that is from all the other parties. And that Jesus is so quiet throughout that whole experience. And so in that, there's this invitation of, okay, you've been following me. You've been watching me now. How are you going to respond? Are you going to make all the noise? Are you going to, or are you going to be the one who's quietly standing there at the foot of the cross? And I'm going to see you if you are. And so just this invitation that God, yeah, God is vulnerable. I mean, that's hard to sit with just that sense. And in that sense, God depends on us like this is where the rubber hits the road are you gonna follow me i need you to be there i need you to stay with me in the garden and so just yeah that where the invitation gets hard but if you're the one who's seen at the foot of the cross woof, what a what a tender moment yeah sarah i've been thinking about this idea of lent being a time that calls us to the ordinary or that reminds us of our ordinariness that jesus discovers in himself and like you were saying, like God becoming vulnerable, God becoming small in a sense, right, into a baby, uh, a God who experiences suffering and death. There's a story I read of a, a young boy receiving his first communion, and he comes back to the pew and he says to his mother, God tastes just like bread. <laughs> it's like God's ordinary, you know, and we, we, you think of the Eucharist, right? We we can make it, we put in a monstrance, we make it all kind of almighty, but there's this smallness of God as bread, God as life. There's a simplicity in that. And can I stay with this human Jesus who I've befriended through the last two weeks of the exercises? So there really is, I see, I see there's in the third week, there's this two sort of approaches there's this personal continued commitment to Jesus and the test of that commitment as we see our friends suffering through a horrific experience and that's where that grace of sharing in his in his sorrow and everything right we've all experienced that being at the bedside of of a beloved loved one who's who's you know suffering or dying and then there's this theological part i think to the third week that is moving us as Jesus is, you know, overcoming the power of sin. We have this movement of our own human preoccupation with sin to a focus on on grace. I mean, that's kind of the movement I see of the of the Easter Triduum too. I was thinking of a, you know, one of the experiences I've had in regard to the third week was uh, 
in my own mind, I wanted to be with Jesus at the cross as, you know, me and the other two Marys, John, just to be there boldly at the cross. And every time I did that, I found myself at a hill way in the back. And I said, what the heck's going on here? So I pushed myself through the crowd and I got closer and closer. I was back on that hill. And, I, and it actually stayed with me for quite a number of years until one day I was drawn to the cross. And I use those phrase carefully. I was drawn to the cross. It wasn't me. I didn't determine it, you know. And I've often said, you really have to be invited to stand at the cross. Because it's not something you can just, you don't get up in the morning and say, I'm going to love people. You just say, I, I will be open to it. But, you know, I would be open to stand with Jesus at the cross, but I can't determine that. And there was something about that being invited that has always been part of my experience of the third week also, that you're invited into the depths of the journey that he is on. And, and that's an important part to be. And even to be invited at the cross, where I, I'm still not standing at the cross. I'm sort of kneeling in back of it, but it's it there. You know. Yeah, that's that's a unique way to see it, because we always talk about the calling of the disciples. You never hear about invitation with the cross. So it makes me wonder, well, were the disciples, you know, like, is there a double calling? You need to be initially called, and then you need to be called to go even further. Yeah. Maybe they missed out on that one, or I don't know how you would see the disciples in that sense. John was there. How do you see the the third week connecting to even how we practice Lent? Do you feel that that the movement of the third week aligns with our practice of Lent in the church? Oh, uh, yeah. One with the practice of Lent during the church is we still have an override of the penitential side of Lent and not enough of recovery yet of the baptismal side of Lent. And I think that the penitential side came only the baptismal side because it's dealing with God's mercy, God's love. It's the stuff that comes through the three weeks of the, the scrutinies, for example, which is the whole church praying God's mercy upon these people. Uh, and it's all preparing them for that moment of entering into the baptismal font. So it, it's very, very much a baptismal season. And yet, because it, the, the old initiation part faded, and it became very much the beat-your-breast kind of thing, we're still living more in the waiting for something to happen, rather than experiencing what has happened and passing it on to new people. So there's, there's an awkwardness, at least in my own mind, between the current experience. I think the current experience is becoming more and more initiation again, more and more baptismal again. But, but, it, but that's slow, and, and it's overrided. It's, it has to override the, you know, the, the prayer fasting and, and, and almsgiving, the negative side, rather than the good side, like prayer and fashion about. I go back to the word vulnerability, and I don't think we, again, 
I think we focus so much on our own vulnerabilities in Lent, you know, and Ash Wednesday, we're marked. People love Ash Wednesday, come out in flocks for Ash Wednesday, love to finally acknowledge to the world how broken we all are. And, and yeah, just be marked with ashes. We focus on the temptation of Christ in the desert um, and, you know, our own temptations. But I think, yeah, I mean, we don't we don't have the full story of Jesus's time in the wilderness. Memorable. All we hear in the reading is he, you know, fought the temptations and that's what we need to do. So all of Lent, I think we kind of get this image of Jesus is able to fight against temptation. You know, that's where we need to get. But we're so broken and sinful that, yeah, I think we really miss out on the vulnerability of God in Lent and being reminded that, yeah, God, God came and experienced all of that. Didn't come as just, yeah, conquering all everything right from the get-go. Um, but yeah. I think that's hard to sit with. It is. Yeah, I think the tendency of Lent is that we, we seek to somehow inflict suffering on ourselves. Um, I, I don't believe that we're called to do that. You know, I think, I think we, I think we have a lot of baggage <laughs> in our tradition around yeah. the meaning of suffering and, and sacrifice. I mean, suffering and sacrifice is really a natural consequence of love. I mean, that's what I think we see on the cross. Um, Jesus didn't, didn't ever inflict suffering upon himself. It was just a consequence of his love. And so that's why for me, I keep going back to this Lent is teaching us how to be human. It's teaching us how to love more deeply of, w- with, of, which, consequen- uh, of which suffering is consequential of. It's interesting how the, uh, in popular mind, take a part of the Twitter room, which is the more important? Is the more important the Holy Thursday concept of the communion of, you know, in John's gospel, unless I wash you, you can have no part in me. But there's a, a, or the cross, which is, to me, the cross is something which kind of comes humanly because of the people, but it really is rooted in the garden when he says, your will be done. He, it's a total entrustment to God. And then, but then the, the Easter vigil seems to kind of not yet capture the fullness of what Lent is about, you know, it's sort of most people focus more on Good Friday than on the Easter Vigil, and yet the Easter Vigil is what the Easter season is ultimately about. I mean, it's it's, it's about people standing and raising their hands because new people have joined into Christ and into the the, the Christian reality. But as I said that's the clash that as you say there are two things fighting against each other. Uh, and I think the the resurrection story is what is what is what ultimately Lent is about. It's not ultimately about either the cross or the Last Supper. They are movements towards the resurrection. Yeah, I mean, if you if you look at, I mean, there's such a uh, intentional contrast, isn't there, between Good Friday and then Easter, the the next day or next evening, that you know, even like. I'm just thinking of my own experience of praying through the stories of the third week, Jesus on trial, you know, doesn't speak a whole lot, but it just kind of illustrates that, you know, and he, or Jesus once says, you know, my kingdom is not of this world. It just sort of illustrates that these stories of, of Jesus facing the evil spirit, the ways of the world, the powers that be, that his 
his kingdom is on a different plane, which you experience that liturgically with that contrast between the story of Good Friday and the Easter resurrection story. Uh, and, you know, Peter, I, I appreciate you talking about the initiation por portion of it where there are new followers joining the fold. I mean, Easter is saying, okay, let's get back to transforming the world. Let's not, let's not focus on the suffering and this other plane, but like we're on the, the plane of the kingdom. Yeah. When, Paul th when Paul talks about, uh, you know, experiencing in his life uh, the sufferings of Jesus, that, that, that this is more than just the reality of the sufferings of the world, that the, the sufferings of the world are not just simply sufferings, they're sufferings that move towards victory and towards love. And, and, and that's a hard journey to, to be on. That's, that's the transition from the third week to the fourth week, because it's to how do you see this disaster? Uh, as the Emmaus people said, we were hoping. How do you see this as the victory of God? Yeah, it really takes a mental shift and really does come down to how do you see the cross? So much uh yeah healthy and unhealthy ways to see the cross and if i mean we do we focus so much on the sacrifice of the cross rather than yeah love the it's the consequence of love and so that then just shifts how we do see lent whether it's deprivation or about honing our desire and just yeah how different then that is of how we walk through this season like suffering unnecessarily um, or really suffering in desire and pursuing something in desire. I always like to say this, that suffering is not a good thing. No. We, can make, we can make it a good thing if we bring the act of love into it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think you can, you can make suffering good if the human act of love is part of it. Peter, I, you've preached a bit on forgiveness and, and reconciliation and you were talking about this focus of Lent on being a on Lent being a penitential season and the focus on penance and so on. You gotta get your annual confession in at minimum, right? You know, I thinking about Saint Ignatius and his time in the cave and these severe penances that he inflicted upon himself, I'm wondering how much that informed his approach to the third week. And, you know, when I think about Jesus, we never once saw him give people penances after they forgave him. I'm kind of going off on a tangent here of just thought of how Ignatius saw uh, and understood Lent compared to how perhaps we're talking about that, about it today. Yeah, well, I think that the... the one of the things I like to say is that too many people think that Ash Wednesday is the beginning of Lent to prepare us for Easter. Whereas I say that Easter is the end result that determines what happens before it. And what happens before it is much more associated with the community gathering, welcoming people. Now, the reason that the whole penitential thing came in was they imagined that baptism could only be repeated once. 
And so it was reconciliation was for them initially, once once in a lifetime, and the rest is in the hands of God. Now, when you get into Ignatius's world, he's dealing with a very different world, a very different concept of Ignatius. The whole concept of, of, of Easter being the key role to Lent is, is not there. Uh, so he would be very, very much into the penitential side of Lent. And I think it probably would see a closer connection of Lent and the third week. That would be, say, one way of seeing it. But I'm not sure that the that, that would be the, the, the most appropriate way for us today. You know, I think that reconciliation is even something. You know, you, you can only be reconciled if you've had a community where you are separated from. Mm. You know, you can't, you, reconciliation doesn't make any sense if you're just talking in, in a vacuum. And, uh, you know, as far as God is concerned, we, we believe that in Christ, all sin has already been forgiven. So reconciliation is how do we hear that in our hearts? You know, but all of that, I think, would be very different from the world in which Ignatius, in fact, lived. Yeah. I'm curious, since Ignatius really stresses in the third week to have practices of penance and fasting, and was that an important practice for you, too, when you were in the third week of your own exercises? I made the retreat in a 30-day retreat in a retreat house. And so I think during the third week, I just avoided having dessert. <laughs> I avoided taking cookies from the cookie jar. Um, it wasn't, I don't think, a particular thing for me. Though, I, you know, I, I remember Ignatius saying somewhere about, you know, he even says to try to avoid joyful thoughts, to really get in the mo mode of sorrow. So I'd, like, close the shades in the room and, like, set the environment to get into the, the stories. How about you, Peter? did have a situation where somebody was in the third week, and he said, you know, my prayer was just really awful this week. I found myself very nervous and anxious and all sorts of things going on. And he stopped. He said, wait a second. That's what I've been praying for. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, think, I think the image of the cave is important because I love the idea of going into the cave and coming out of the cave. Coming out of the cave, you see the world out there waiting for the word. And I think that really that, that's the, the key between the third week and the fourth week. Because the third week is only the third week. It leads to the fourth week. And the fourth week is to take what you had to go into the cave to purify yourself. You had to go into to face evil, to face evil, because ultimately it is not just personal evil or social evil, it's world evil. And you have to kind of get that feeling of anxiety and hatred and so on in order then to be able to see. And all of that was conquered when the, when the tomb was opened, you know. I really think you can't just talk about the third week without seeing that it is, it is the lead into the fourth, that you, you cannot have a third week unless there's a fourth week. Just like you can't have a Lent without having any, yeah. an Easter. <laughs> I have a question then that just kind of brings this to current reality because I, in a, a face sharing group I'm in, you know, we were reflecting on how significant to our prayer, just the war in Ukraine is to the season of Lent and just suffering and evil and just how to bring that to prayer. So how do you, as you said, Peter, like you can't, this is just the third week. You have, you have to have the resurrection with it. 
how do you bring to prayer the reality of the world where you don't know what resurrection will look like for people who are suffering so much? Like Jesus is still crucified today in our world, all over the world, you know, um, in these dire situations. How do we, how do we enter the fourth week in our world today? That whole notion, how do you deal with the fact that there are no stories of the resurrection? There are witnesses to the resurrection. And all the witnesses are people who say that I have found in my life that Jesus is still alive. And that generates that whole language of I will be with you always. So how do you face something like the Ukraine situation where I have no idea you know, I mean, the starting point is that it is a disaster. If you end with it as a disaster, that's not what our Christian faith is inviting us to. It's just see how, does, how do we see through the disaster elements of hope, elements of care? How do, you, how do you deal with the people who take care of people when they are being, you know, in other words, there's, there's a lot of goodness already, even in the Ukraine, that begins to say, there's more here than just destruction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have to look at the destruction, walk through the destruction. And maybe after I pass through the destruction, you know, and, and that there's a God there. But, you know, but it's, it's very hard to use that language too quickly and too soon in the midst of the disaster. I mean, there's evil all over the place. And, and in some ways, uh, it's, it's not for us to overcome that evil. In some ways, God has, God yes, must yet reveal to us how, you know. Because it's, it's just too easy to use that pious language, and it comes out as pious language. And, but, it, but, but, but it's ultimately not pious. It's an, it's an invitation into something deeper. But that takes time, it takes courage, it takes deep faith. It's much like Peter walking on the water and then sinking and then being raised again. You know, that there's something, uh, but it's hard. It's hard to use that language, but to know that the language contains something that's important for us to realize so that we don't just end up with a disaster. The resurrection continues to un- yeah. be, to unfold and be found. As, as and, and that's why I like the idea that there's no story of the resurrection. They're just witnesses. Yeah. That's why you don't have different ways. different ways. They contradict each other. And that's the way the whole church has been. It's because people have been touched by something that they say he is alive. Mm. Otherwise, there would be no Christian church. Mm. It would have faded. Uh, but, but, and now in different ways, now we ask the question in terms of our world and, and, and they're real questions. You know, where is Jesus in the conflict in the Middle East? Where is Jesus in the conflict of uh, United States, Republican, Democrat, in the world of poverty and hyper-rich? You know, how, how do you deal with all of those things? And the only, the only hope we have is that when God says, I will be with you, that we have a right to look for him in the midst of it all. Otherwise, we just end up with a disaster. Well, thank you both for helping us unpack the mystery of the third week and for ending on 
that hopeful note, that hopeful light of the resurrection, Peter. Hope Thank you. Thank you, you Sarah. Have a lovely Easter. <laughs> and welcome to all the people who come into the church because of it. Thanks for listening. Learn more about Ignatius House by visiting us at ignatiushouse.org or following us on social media. And be sure to subscribe to this wherever you listen to podcasts. May the blessing of God be with you always.